Today's guest is a stuntman who became a safety professional. He's an actor who became an engineer, only to walk away from the nine to five to become a speaker and number one best-selling author. Welcome to the show, Tyler. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good, Toby. And it's an absolute joy to be on Mirror Talk. I've been looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Mirror Talk Podcast. I've also been I'm looking forward to this conversation since the time we arranged this um, appointment. And I'm looking forward to, you know, learning about every phase of life that you've been through and, you know, the um, diversity of everything that you've done in your life so far. Um, you know, you, you have been acting in film and television since you were six years old. You appeared in a lot of productions. You became an engineer, a speaker and a best-selling author. Can you share your life journey with me? What inspired, you know, these various phases of your life? Well, it, it was really circuitous. So I started in film and television and theater when I was very young. The first time I was on stage, I was six years old. And I was, I was very lucky to be introduced to the arts at a very young age. And because of that, I had a really um, long career. I, I was, you know, I was able to be a 20-year industry vet by the time I was 25, which most people can't say that they've been working for 20 years before their 26th birthday. So I was, I was very lucky with that. And at right in around my mid twenties, I started to get, um, I stopped having fun performing. And one of the reasons why I loved that career so much was it was fun for me to go and, and play and get paid to play. And do adult dress up really is what it boiled down to. And I got to become different people and, and enjoy that. And at about 24, 25, it had become a laborious career where that was my job. And I was, you know, I was going out and I was auditioning two, three times a day. And most people uh, would, when they're in that career, would trade anything to have that as a reality where you're going out and you're auditioning regularly, you're regularly working. Um, you know, I, it was my only job for a, a good four or five years. You know, most people who are in performance, they, you're an actor and, you know, when somebody says, so, so you're an actor, so what do you really do? Oh, well, I'm a waiter or I, I work at the video shop or I do whatever I do, right? Yes. And for me, I didn't have to do that. I, I was just an actor. And again, a lot of people would trade a great deal uh, to have that position. But I had, I had become a job and it stopped being fun. So I decided to step back and go and get an engineering discipline from school. And I specialized in geomatics, which is a fancy way of saying map making and, and studying the earth. And I was able to be introduced to an incredible mentor uh, who helped me put together my first company. And that company didn't really go so well. We, we started out as an aerial surveying firm, and then we decided to get into this interior mobile mapping and, and just a series of really unfortunate events put together basically dissolved that company, and, mm -hmm. and it, it ceased to exist. But when you are working in that field, usually your primary client is the government, and usually you can't work for the government if you don't have a health and safety management system in place. True. So we had to put together the safety policies, safety procedures, and I had to take uh, certain training in order to be able to put these together. And a friend of mine ran uh, an electrical firm and he said, listen, you have all the safety training. 
if you take these extra courses, I'll pay for them and you can actually get your designation as a safety officer. And then I could have you on site. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, sure, let's do that. And so from the surveying company, I then worked for my friend's company for a while doing safety. And it ends up that I knew a lot about safety from the time that I was in film and television doing stunts that it translated directly. Like stunts was actually the safest job that I ever did. Jumping out of a six-story window was literally the safest job that I'd ever done in my life. Wow. And then when I got onto some of these large construction sites, I was blown away. I was like, this is so unsafe. <laughs> like, you can't do these things. What are you, what are you people doing? Yeah. It, just, it, it boggled my mind. Mm. And then I ended up going on a rant one day just just frustrated with the lack of compliance and the lack of understanding and just the lack of self-preservation that some of these workers held. I'm like, you, you, you have one life. Why are you purposely endangering yourself for yeah. a, not a lot of money? Hmm. And so I went off on this rant about how um, jumping out of windows was the safest job that I had. And if I could safely jump out of six stories and live to tell the tale, that they could at least do their part to go home safe at the end of the day so that I don't have to write up these reports. Mm -hmm. Anyway, an executive had heard me say that and uh, essentially came to me and said, listen, that was, a, that was really impactful. Would you be willing to give a keynote presentation on that at our next um, safety stand-down meeting? And I said, sure. I had no idea what a keynote was at the time, so I went and Googled and figured it out yes. and went, people get paid to talk? And then that kind of created this new career for me where now I am a professional speaker. And a lot of people would then ask me, how do you do what you do? And I was like, well, it's easy. I mean, and for me, it is because I've been performing for 35 years. Yeah. And so I ended up starting to train people and teach people how to confidently take the stage. So I've had this complete pivot now from having the company the surveying company to becoming a safety professional to starting my own safety consulting practice to becoming a keynote speaker and now having another company that is dedicated solely to training people how to be better public speakers and communicate more effectively yeah that's awesome that's a wonderful journey you've had so far <laughs> so from from this experience of yours um this is question that, that um, has been dropping in my mind, and that comes to purpose, your why. Um, what will you define purpose as, you know, from your experiencing all of this, from age of six, you know, acting and all that, and becoming an engineer, keynote speaker, what was your definition for purpose, and how can I discover my purpose? Okay, so everybody, I think, has a gift or a talent. Mm. And there are so many ways of discovering what that is, but... I often, I think that it comes down to faith in, in the creator and knowing that there is purpose and design behind everything, that mm. there is grace in all of the events. So if you want to really find your purpose, I think one of the first things to do is really still your mind, still your heart, do some breath work and do some, um, some deep work into understanding why things happen the way that they do around you like what is the common theme that pulses through what is that thread that traces through the tapestry of your life because if you start to pull that you can start to see 
why all, all these things are interconnected. Yeah. For me, I really strongly believe that I was given a unique opportunity to be on stage at a very young age so that I could help in my later years mm. help people communicate better because I believe that the power of story is what binds us together. It's what honestly makes it easier for us to relate to each other as human beings. And there's such division in the world today mm. because people have stopped being able to communicate and tell stories to yeah. each other. And I think yeah. if we had the ability to, to talk to one another, that that would, that would make it easier for us to understand each other's point of view. Mm. And so I look at my life and my father passed away at six. That's one of the reasons why I first got on stage was it was uh, an outlet for me, uh, an emotional release so that I could try to start to process kind of the grief that I was experiencing and, and the lack of understanding at six, like death doesn't make a lot of sense to a six-year-old. Mm. The finality of that is not something that is easy to comprehend. Mm. And so the stage became this outlet for me to explore the world. And at 17, I had a medical incident that left the left side of my body paralyzed for almost a year. Ooh. And at that point, that, was, that gave me the motivation and the drive to really want to get into the arts. Mm. Like I, I had become really complacent with it. And it was one of those, nah, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But when it was taken away, that compelled me now to get into it. And so I look at all of these events in my life, even stepping away from performance for a couple of years it always came back. Like my agent would reach out to me, Hey, I've got this project. I think you'd be really good at it. Would you like to go on audition? And I go, yeah, sure. Why not? I've got, I've got time, but I still had this company and I've, I've had these businesses and everything keeps coming back to this, making me a better communicator, getting me into a place and a space where I can be a teacher and a mentor to people who want to know how to do this better mm -hmm. and to be able to be real with them. Like this is, this is why I feel this way. This is how it is. And, and give me some understanding. So all of these things led up to it. So when somebody is trying to find their purpose, I think you need to look at what those common threads are. What are the lessons that keep popping up and have mm -hmm. you learned them? And if you have learned them, how are you translating those to other people? Because that's probably going to define why you are here. And it's the big question that everybody has. Why? Why am I on this earth? What am yes. I supposed to do? What is yes. the big important thing? Mm -hmm. And then the other question that you had is, what is my why? Mm -hmm. What motivates me to do that thing? And that, again, goes back to stilling the mind and adopting the curiosity of a five-year-old or a three-year-old who is just discovering the world. If you can readopt that mindset, and look at these, these events in your life and go, well, why did that happen? Mm. What was the significance? Yeah. What, what is a common theme from that? What did I need to learn? And you start going through and you start asking those questions. Once you can really look at it and do a, a big high level, you know, 100,000 foot view down mm. and go, this is how all those pieces fit together. This is obviously what I'm supposed to do with that information. Yes. And that's, that's, I think, the, the key in the start. I love that. That's awesome. Like being observant and mindful of everything that happens in one's life. Learn from, your, from the lessons that life gives to you and find the common traits in between them. And Tony Robbins says it best. Life 
happens for us, not to us. Hmm. And um, we need to find out why those, because because there's some joyous things that have happened in my life and there are some very tragic things that have happened in my life, but they didn't happen to me. They happened for me. They were events that occurred that I needed to push my path onto the direction that it needed to go so that I could end up where I am right now. If I didn't have each and every one of those events, I wouldn't be in the position that I am now. And more things will happen. Hmm. As I live, more events will occur there. That's that's the nature of life. And so Mm -hmm. instead of going, oh, my job is okay, why? And and they're a lot easier to handle, both good and bad, if you go, what is the lesson here? Where is the grace? What did I need to learn? Mm -hmm. True, true. And that, that shows a lot of things that one can learn from you, from your keynote speaking, for example, or from your speaking engagement. So I'm going to get all the links possible. I have the link to your website, which is going to be placed in the show notes for this episode. So I advise everyone to, you know, click on it, copy the link and reach out to you in that regard. And talking about, talking about reaching out to you for your speaking engagement, you have this book called The Power to Speak Naked. The Power to Speak Naked. <laughs> so can you, can you tell me about this book and what was the inspiration behind it? And who, who is it appropriate for? <laughs> okay, well, so who is it appropriate for right off the bat is for anybody who is afraid to get up on stage for whatever reason. This, mm. is, this is not a big manifesto to get people to take on the big stages and be the next world's greatest public speaker. This is for the people who are afraid to speak up in a social engagement. You know, who, they're at a party and they sit back in the corner and just kind of watch and observe because they don't feel that they have anything to contribute or that their story doesn't matter or that their opinion is, isn't important. Mm. And this is kind of a, a whisper to that inner self-conscious of, of somebody like that to say, listen, your story does matter. Mm. Uh, your opinion is important. Yeah. Who you are is important. The experiences that you've had in life are important. So let's, let's find a way to tell that story. Let's find a way to give you the power and the courage and the conviction to be able to stand up and start to speak your naked truth. And so the title comes from just that, me wanting people to be able to expose themselves uh, and be raw and vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and let us in and, and see kind of what, what you need and what you're worried about and um, what your experiences are and who you are, because we all have those stories. And it's through that power of story that we can learn from each other, as we've previously discussed. So I want to empower people to be able to do that. And then uh, another sub-level of that is I don't think that speakers need PowerPoints and PA systems and lasers and lights and effects and music Mm. to be able to tell a powerful story. Can those things be useful and augment and improve a presentation absolutely but you shouldn't need them for your presentation and so i want people to have the power to go up and and just speak and be so engaging and so present with their audience that it doesn't matter what they're wearing it doesn't matter what props are or are not present it doesn't matter where the setup is that they just they are engaging right now Mm. and can can speak from the heart so that is, that's why that book was written and who the book was written for was so that 
I, I really want to encourage the world to stand up and, and speak. That's awesome. That's a wonderful message to put out into the world for people who want to, you know, perform or speak in front of audience or people. Yes. But w- w- why do we have to, you know, visualize our audience naked? Because I've heard this a lot that imagine that everyone is naked before you speak or something. Like that. Why do we have to visualize everyone naked and, and yeah, <laughs> why performing? <laughs> we don't. It's the worst advice on the planet. It's actually one of the cheeky reasons why I wrote the title the way that I did. <laughs> so I, I, I was in, uh, when we were writing the book, I, I brought a couple of friends over to review the manuscript and we were brainstorming titles. And I'd asked, because this is a book about advice. So I said, what's some of the advice that you'd gotten? And somebody had brought that up. And, you know, do you picture your audience naked? And I went on the following rant. I said, that is the, that is awful. That is the worst (laughs) advice. Because here's the thing, Uh, the, the idea behind it, I think, and I don't know, because I wasn't there when the first person uttered these ridiculous words to to picture your audience naked. But I think the idea is most people are uncomfortable presenting information Hmm. or speaking in public. And so for the idea I believe behind this advice is that for you to feel comfortable, you are going to picture other people in a state of discomfort and somehow derive comfort from the fact that everybody is now uncomfortable instead of just you being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But the problem with it is, is you're using up so much mental energy unnecessarily. It would be like, if I was to get into my car, right, and know yes. that I want to drive forward, mm. but instead of putting the car in gear and pushing on the gas, yeah. I put the car in neutral and go, I can make this go just by going to the back and pushing. <laughs> yes, you will. Yes. It will get you to where you're trying to go. But that is so much more effort than what you actually should be doing. Mm. And all oh, that, that, it's just, it's, it's, it's the most asinine advice I think anybody could ever give anyone. Because really, instead of trying to find comfort in other people's discomfort, what you need to do is find peace within yourself so that you are comfortable going on stage. Mm. So that it's not an issue where you just go and you're like, hey, look, at th- this is, I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to be here. This is a place where I want to be. Yes. For me, I'm, I'm lucky because the, I, my first introduction to the stage was an amazing experience for me. Mm. Stages and audience to me equals applause and standing ovations and a feeling of joy that I can't describe. Mm. Like it is such an exhilarating experience to be in front of an audience and have them clap and, and stand up for you and cheer and, and to walk them through uh, an emotive experience and and have them feel things that, you know, you're responsible for. Mm. Like, that's an amazing thing for me. And so I look forward to it. And so when somebody is uncomfortable on the stage, we have to analyze why. And instead of trying to make them feel comfortable based on somebody else's discomfort, let's forget. First of all, don't do that. That's, it's weird. But second of all, let's address the root cause, like, why do you feel uncomfortable on stage? And what Mm -hmm. I have found through years of working with various clients, it's that it ultimately boils down to a fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. No one's actually afraid of public speaking. 
And anybody who's listening to the show right now, the Mirror Talk audience, and you're like, well, no, 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 but Tyler, I actually am. I'm part of the 77% of the world who has a fear of public speaking. Mm. I will ask them this. When was the last time you went to a restaurant? Mm. And if you went to a restaurant and you were able to talk to your wait staff and order food, you spoke in public and mm. you did it without any fear. Mm. So you're not afraid to speak in public. You're afraid that when you open your mouth, the things that you're saying are going to be judged by the audience that is listening. So let's tackle that fear of judgment. And, and that ultimately that's what we need to do to get over this, this imagined fear of, yeah. of public speaking, which we don't actually have. So when we get the we don't do it by picturing the audience naked. We do not do that. <laughs> so we should clothe, we should picture them, you know, fully clothed and uh, yeah, with their clothes. We don't on even have to picture them. That's the great thing. <laughs> it, depending on the presentation that you're doing, like when I do my large, large presentations, I'm usually in an auditorium and there are lights, mm. um, and so I can't even see the audience half the time. The harder things to do are for the people who are trying to do presentations in small conference rooms or boardrooms where. Mm you're two feet away from the first person who is listening and you know everybody. And that tends to be where more of that fear of judgment comes because you're talking to peers and people you regularly interact with and somehow have a, uh, have now taken on a mantle of authority. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, you don't have to picture them anyway. They're just there. Yes. What, you, what your focus needs to be on is how can I show up the best version of me and deliver the information and the content that is expected of me. Mm -hmm. And, and when we focus on making sure that we're serving the audience, uh, that, you know, we don't need to picture them anyway. We need to focus on are their needs being met? Yes. And if you can do that, first of all, then you can get out of your head. You don't have to worry about that judgment. Are your needs being met? Is this information making sense? Is this landing? Am I connecting with you, Toby? Mm -hmm. You know, and following along with some of those cues, if I can focus on you as my audience, that is how we serve that's how we get over the fear of judgment and yes. that's where we use our mental powers uh, in the most effective and efficient manner so once i can let go of the fear of judgment i will let go of the stage fright that i could have while standing in front of people but it wouldn't even let go as soon as you can um conquer that fear of judgment and you can release that as a a mental mindset mm. there is no stage fright because mm. there's the, if there's no there's no reason to fear the stage at that point because nobody's judging you one of the fastest ways to do that is to recognize that the audience is on your side like nobody shows up to a presentation mm -hmm. expecting to be disappointed mm. right True. we all we all want you to succeed have True. you ever uh, and i want people to think about this right now what have you ever been uh, like or even watching tv like you know you watch like uh, america's got talent or the voice or um american idol or any of those those reality tv shows where people are competing mm. and you see that one person who's just bombing <laughs> and it's it's bad and you just you cringe inside not because you wanted it to be bad but because you want them to do better you want them to be good so even when we are at our worst, the audience is still going, oh, I want you to be better. I want yes, you to be better. I want yes. this to be better. You know, we're, we're on your side. 
And anytime we show up to any kind of a presentation, our first thought is not, man, I hope this sucks. I hope this person forgets everything that they're talking about. And I hope, uh, <laughs> right? Like those, those are the thoughts that we have, but that's not what our audience has. Our audience is there going, I hope this is good. Hmm. At the most, they're passively indifferent. They're like, oh, I guess I a free ticket. I'll be here. Right? Yeah. Like that's, that's the, 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 the worst that you're battling is somebody who just is one doesn't care one way or the other if they're there or not mm, yes so now i'm standing i'm standing um, in front of an audience and i have no stage fright i have no fear of judgment in me um what's the power or the importance of storytelling when, when speaking to my audience what was it what's that power that it holds when i'm telling a story well and as i referred to at the beginning of our conversation story is universal mm. story is what binds us together and the more specific and detailed the story is, the more personal I make the story to me, mm. the more universal that story speaks. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book and in all of my trainings is that authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. And we all want to see that authentic speaker. But the problem is, is that term and that word has been overused now. Mm. And I think people have confused um, going out and saying what's ever on your mind as being authentic that isn't being authentic being honest and truthful in the delivery mm -hmm. and exposing yourself to being vulnerable and to being real that is what authentic is mm -hmm. and so in order to do that you need to know who you are and what your inner truths are what what drives you what motivates you what your why is mm -hmm. so that you can effectively then tell the stories of your life. Yeah. And stories have this amazing ability to connect us because, uh, you know, they say never judge a person until they've walked a mile in their shoes. Mm. Well, I don't, I can't go to where you are right now, Toby, and put on your shoes. First mm. of all, we probably don't even have the same size feet, so they wouldn't even fit, right? True. I'm True. a wee tiny man. I am five foot seven, 140 pounds, and I wear a size seven shoe. So I don't know that you and I, are going to fit the same clothes. So I can't actually walk a mile in your shoes, but, but you can tell me a story of what it's like. What's a day in the life of Toby? What is one of the most joyous times that you've experienced? What is one of the most troublesome times you've experienced? Mm. How did it make you feel? What were the circumstances around it? What did you learn from it? All of these things are important. When you tell me that, now I can understand. I can see the world through your eyes. And that's where empathy, that's where sympathy, that's where understanding, that's all, where all of those things come from. And when we can get that, that's when we start to narrow that gap of division. Mm. That's where the divisive nature that seems to have evolved in our culture over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years but has been really amplified over the last decade with social media and the prevalence of everybody and people mistaking opinions for facts. Most of what I am stating are not facts. Mm. They're my opinions. Yes. They are truths that I believe, but mm. it doesn't make it fact. It makes it my truth. Mm. And, and I think there's a, there's a problem with the world feeling that because I feel it to be true doesn't make it reality. It makes it my view of the world, which yes. is my reality. That isn't your reality. 
But if you can tell me what your reality looks like, now I can find commonality in that. I can have understanding of that. And that's why story is so important. Because if you don't tell me the story and you just give me facts, your facts are your opinion to me. And you, you can spit out all the rationale in the world and I won't understand why. Mm. But if you tell me a story, yeah. I understand the process behind it. Yeah. And now I can understand why you view those facts to be truth. Well, if, if I go ahead and say, oh, my life has been... You know, very simple. I have no story to share, but I still want to pass across this message to you. How can I, you know, <laughs> how can I tell a compelling story when my life is just, you know, just very, very basic and simple and not exciting? Because here's the thing. Every, I think people have confused a compelling story for needing to be a Hollywood blockbuster. Mm. Some of the most compelling stories I've ever heard have come from very simple, very ordinary instances where people have had a moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the fastest ways to discover where those stories in our lives are, because we all have, we all have powerful stories yeah. that we yes. can share. Yeah. And one of the exercises that I do in all of my workshops is I have everybody divide their, um, their lives mm. into five time periods. So Toby, how old are you? I'm 27. So you're 27. So we're going to take, and we're going to go back to, to grade school math. Okay, are you ready? Grade Mm -hmm. school math, and uh, we're going to divide by five, but we're going to divide to the whole and keep the remainder. Do you remember having remainders when you were doing math? Yeah, I think so. So for you, (laughs) right? So for you, 27, Mm -hmm. that's 25 is the whole, right? So you Mm -hmm. have five time periods of five Mm -hmm. plus a remainder of two years. Yes. So we're going to take those two years. We're going to tack them on to the beginning. So for you, your first time period is going to be from birth to seven years old, five plus two. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is the biggest memory for you that stands out with, from when you were born to when you were seven years old? If you were to think back to that time period, what is one memory that stands out more than anything else? Maybe it, it gives from my, from my parents, I guess, like my, I don't know, my first major game gaming system for example i guess okay so that's so it's a happy memory for one yes why does that stand out as as such a a a memorable thing for you yeah because i was super excited about it (laughs) right so it was a gift so so receiving a gift right so now you have this memory Mm. so you could tell a story about receiving that gift and now we just start to explore the lessons is it because Mm -hmm you felt grateful? Is it because you felt understood? Is it because you, it was a thing that you had coveted and wanted and now you had received it? Mm. Was it a, a, an expression of your parents' love for you? Did it make you feel loved by them? You know, all of these things are potential lessons that you learn from it. And it's such a simple thing as is just receiving a gift, yes. right? And, but it's such a beautiful lesson. And so then the next, so we jump to the next time period, mm. right? So you go eight Plus five is 13. So from eight to 13, you look and go, okay, what is my next memory? Yeah. And yeah. then from 14 to what would be about 19, 19 yeah. right? What is my next memory? And mm-hmm. then from 20 uh, at that point, well, we should now be 20 to 27. 
I'm doing bad math in my head. I think <laughs> I'm, I was getting to, to go up the, the dates because we should have gone, yeah, 8 to 13, 14 to 19, 20 to, I see, I'm doing it again. But we'll do the math proper. But you just yeah. divide it into the five time periods and then you look at each one of those. For me, when I do the exercise, I'm 42. Mm. So I divide mine and I get uh, eight is my holes and then I get a two remainder so tack that on to the beginning. So I look at my first time period as being zero to 10. And in that time, uh, the most significant thing that happened to me was getting on stage and hearing applause mm-hmm. and also the, the passing of my father. Mm-hmm. And then when I go to my next time period, I look at it and I go, what were my most significant memories? The first one is the first time I ever grieved my father's passing. Mm-hmm. It also happened to coincide with the first time I ever received um, an award from school. Or more specifically, when I got the top student award from my school. And that it was this weird combination of elation and joy and mm-hmm. sorrow um, because I was in a, anybody who remembers going back to elementary school when you had the assemblies in the gymnasium, mm-hmm. right? And they would seat the students and you'd buy grades so that the little kids were sitting in front. And then, you know, the big kids at grade six were in the back. Yeah. And I was in my, my elementary school gymnasium and it was the final assembly of the year for the awards presentation. And so there was a lot of parents that were sitting along the edge mm-hmm. of the gymnasium in the, in the chairs. And then we were all seated down on the floor mm-hmm. and they called my name, you know, top student is Tyler Foley. And I stood up and I was so proud because mm-hmm. the, there was a group of us, there's about four or five of us who were very, very scholastically inclined and, and we competed mentally uh, to be the top student, you know, we were all going straight A's and and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was just proud. I was so proud. And I walked around and my mom was smiling at me and she was beaming and she had a little tear of joy coming down her eye. Mm -hmm. And as I walked past her, the chair beside her was empty. Mm -hmm. And this was a packed gymnasium. And I don't know why to this day that that chair was empty, but as I walked past it, I thought to myself, my father should be there. Mm -hmm. And then as I was going, all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed by these emotions. So I'm looking at my teacher. She's holding the award. I'm looking at my mom. I'm looking at this empty chair. I'm still walking. And all of a sudden, my future flashes in front of me. And I go, my father is not going to see me get this award. My father's not going to see me graduate from high school. He won't see me graduate from college. He'll never see me get married. He won't see the birth of his grandchildren. Like All of this came to me, and I started to cry. And it was the first time that I had really grieved my father's passing because it was the first time that it dawned on me in six years, the finality Mm. of what that, what his death meant. Mm. And so I went from this high and elation of being the top student in the school to this, this absolute despair, realizing that my father was never going to celebrate in this. And then having this realization that that chair was empty because he, he must've been there. Mm. Like, why else would that chair be empty? empty yeah. It wasn't empty. I just couldn't see him there. And then that brought joy and elation, knowing that although he wasn't physically going to be with me, my father was always going to be with me. And then that propelled me going, that means that no matter what I do, no, no, the small things in my life, my father will always be there. He will be there to support me. He will be there to champion me. And, and that then now that I'm back into expressive happiness. Yes. And so, and all of that happened in the blink of an eye. And it's incredibly memorable for me in that, that time period. Mm. And I, everybody will have these stories. They will all have the things that stand out to them. 
So I would encourage everybody, just take your life, divide it by five, and don't worry about the points or whatever. You just take the remainder, whatever the extra bits are, tack it on to the beginning of your life because you probably don't remember the first two years anyways. <laughs> yeah, true. And that's how you find where your stories are. Yeah. yeah. And then as we discussed earlier, adopt the curiosity of, of a child, of an infant, exploring their world and go, why does this stand out for me? What is significant? What were the lessons that I learned? What are the lessons that other people can learn from this? Where was, where, where was the grace in it? What do I need people to know from this story? And you will guaranteed have at least five. When I do this exercise, I end up coming up with 30 or 40. And I am somebody who feels that I lead a boring life. <laughs> really? You can read, you, yeah, you can read my bio and be like, but Tyler, you did all this stuff. You exactly. Yeah. Six, yeah. You, had your own business you you know you jumped out of windows you mm -hmm. speak on stages around the world and i go well yeah but that's just normal like for me it's just normal <laughs> like it's just me living my life yeah right? so and yeah. that's the thing everybody is going to feel that they're not exciting when they view it from inside their own lens mm. but you need to step outside of it and say well but how would somebody else view this mm. And what do they need to know? And again, get out of your own head. Stop being egocentric and, and look at, you know, how does this serve a, a greater and broader purpose? And, and that's where you start to find your stories and the lessons within them. Yeah, that, that's so admirable. And I have to say, um, I really admire your strength, you know, going through this sorrow and processing the death of your father up to this moment and, you know, becoming a success for your own self, making your mother proud. And I really admire that. I, I really admire that. That's awesome. That's really good. And that's also the power of, of storytelling. Now I've learned something from you and how you, you know, process that grief. That's very inspiring. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So and now, um, <laughs> yeah, I have, you know, we, now we have a story to tell, right? And I'm ready to speak. You've told me, you've explained to me how to overcome all the fears and everything that. Uh, so now I'm ready to stand in front of the, of the, of the audience in front of thousands of people to speak and share my story. But how can I find the right audience to share this story with? How can I connect with the right people that will benefit from this story? Well, the, st the, the key there is to not seek them out. Hmm. That you need to just be comfortable telling your story and practice telling your story initially, and, and your audience will find you. And there's two real ways to discover who that ideal audience is. The first one is, who were you five to 10 years ago? Mm. Where were you at? Um, what, what were you struggling with? What were you succeeding with? Yeah. Uh, what lessons did you need to learn five years ago so that you could be where you are today? Yes. And if you speak, if you just start speaking to yourself five years ago, mm. right? Literally almost like a, a, a journal or a diary. Mm. And you were to get on, if you were to do a Facebook Live every week, telling yourself, you, Toby, five mm. years ago, 10 years ago, mm. you know, 22-year-old Toby, 17-year-old Toby, what lessons you need to learn or what, what is coming for you mm. over the next five to 10 years or use the podcast to do that or mm. any of these methods and you just start speaking to you mm. five to 10 years ago the people who need to hear those lessons will start to hear it, mm -hmm. whatever that lesson is. True. And as they start to hear that, they're going to tell other people, oh, I was listening to Mirror Talks. Toby said this thing. And, and, and it, it was a light bulb moment for me. Mm -hmm. 
And then that other person will be like, oh, okay, well, I'll listen to it. And then they listen and they go, oh, yes. Oh, that makes it so clear that I, I understand that perfectly. That makes sense. And then they will pass it on. That's how you start to find your audience. And it, the key is, is to just step into you, be the authentic you, speak the raw, vulnerable truths. Yeah. Uh, say the thing that you needed to hear. Like, really, what did you need to hear five to 10 years ago? That would have made the difference, that would have helped you, that would have propelled you, that would have accelerated your growth faster so that you didn't have to learn the lessons the hard way. You could learn the lessons the easy way. Yeah. And when you do that, that's when your audience starts to find you. Mm -hmm. The next way to do it is be open and aware when people come to you for advice. Mm. What do they ask you? What is the common thing? Like, what is the most common thing that people come and ask you advice for? And who are those people? What do they have in common? Hmm. So for me, I, I do a lot of emceeing. And hmm. I, I, you know, for a very long time, while I, especially while I was building the business, all of my money got funneled into the business and keeping my house going. Yeah. So I didn't have a lot of extra room in the budget for charity. But it's an important value for me that I do give back. And so there's many ways to donate to ch charity that don't involve actual dollars. Mm -hmm. You can donate time, you can donate resources, you can donate items, whatever, you know, spare stuff. There's so many different ways that we can give back. For me, I give, give my time. Mm -hmm. My time is actually fairly valuable. And I have this one skill where I can MC well. So I would MC for a lot of charities. And what would end up happening is a lot of the charity directors and, and heads of these charities would come to me and, and say, oh, that was so good. How do you do that? How do you get up there and, and, and just be like that on stage? Yeah. And I would say, well, it's easy. And they go, well, it's easy for you, but you, <laughs> you don't understand. I couldn't do it. I'm like, no, anybody can do it. Hmm. And, and I, I would start to teach them how to do it. And I yeah. started to see that as a common theme that I was – that these charity directors and, and heads of businesses and um, small entrepreneurial, particularly female entrepreneurial uh, enterprises that had large social um, consciousness and, and giving back yeah. would come to me and say, how do you do that? Because I wish I could tell my story like that. I'd be mm -hmm. like, you can't. And so I'd just start working with them. And that's how I started to find really who my ideal audience was by just paying attention to who the people who were coming and asking me for the advice was, what was the commonality with them and what was the advice that I was giving. And that is the thing that was very likely what I needed to be talking about. True. And so those are the two ways that you can find it. Talk to yourself five to 10 years ago, or be really conscious of who are the people that come to you for advice? What advice are they asking for? And what are the common traits of the people who are asking you for that for advice? advice? Yeah, yes. And you're talking about you, you, you're performing, you know, in charity events, like emceeing. In, in that kind of occasion or that kind of settings, do you find means of networking? And um, if yes, um, how do you network in, you know, charity, at charity events or wherever you find yourself? Well, so I, yeah, I definitely don't network at the charity events um, too much, although there, there's, there is never not an opportunity to network. Anytime that you are in conversation with any other human being, you are expanding your network. Mm. And that's really the key to networking effectively is, uh, first of all, understanding what networking is. Uh, so a lot of people will go to these networking events, right, where it's, it's, it's an actual, it's a, it's a thing, right? Yeah. So we're going to go and we're, we're going to network. 
And I don't think people understand what that actually means because <laughs> I think in their head, they mean that they're going to take a whole bunch of business cards and hand them out to a whole bunch of people. And they're mm-hmm. going to hope to, to somehow get more business by handing out the, their cards, yeah. which could be true, but only if they do it right. And usually when they're going out and they're like, you're my ideal client, you're my ideal client, you're my ideal client, you need to buy this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think of like somebody, uh, a restaurateur, somebody who maybe they own a pizza joint, right? Mm. And they go to a networking event and they're like, everybody eats, so everybody's my ideal client. So <laughs> you need pizza, you need pizza, you need pizza, you need pizza, you need pizza. Yeah. And then you have people who are like, I don't like pizza. And you have people who are like, I have a dairy intolerance. And you have other people who are like, I have a gluten intolerance. And you have other people who are like, I am afraid of triangular shaped food. And so all of these, and other people <laughs> are like, really, I'm afraid of round food things that are it's circular and so pizza really freaks me out because i'm afraid of both circular and triangle so no matter what I, i'm afraid right like whatever it is the pizza is not for them mm-hmm. where if you go to a networking event with the idea that you are looking for strategic partners who you can help grow their business yeah. and in turn they can help you grow your business Hmm. that changes your mindset of why you're going to a networking event you're looking for strategic partners who you can help grow their business and who can help you grow their business and in doing that you start to look for strategic alliances Mm And relationships that you want to build, which is actually what networking is. Networking is growing a network of growth-minded people Mm -hmm. who are looking to improve the businesses of everyone in their network Mm -hmm. by expanding that network exponentially through the power of, of connection. True. So when I go to a networking event, I don't even I usually don't pitch my thing. First of all, it's easy for me because I know what the math is. 77% of the world identifies as having a fear of public speaking. You would think that would mean that um, three quarters of a room are my ideal clients, but they're not. Mm. Because most people have a fear of public speaking and they just don't want to do it. Mm. Even though, statistically, it it translates to a 10% reduction in your earning potential and a 15% reduction in your ability to get a raise, which also has an impact on your earning potential. Mm-hmm. So it's a double whammy. Yeah. Even when I've spit out all of those facts, only mm. 8% of people will actually actively seek out help to improve their public speaking skills. Mm-hmm. So I know if I go to a networking event of 50 people, there's only four people in that room yes. that, that would be clients for me and they may not even know that they're, they're looking for me. Hmm. They might not have even had the conscious awareness yet. But they're, so I'm right. So me going and trying to be like, oh, I'm a public speaker. Maybe do you need a keynote speaker and trying to pivot or yeah. be adaptable to everybody? No, that it's, it's just not, not how you're going to network effectively. So what I do, I go and I say, hi, my name is Tyler Foley, the author of The Power to Speak Naked. What do you do and how can I be of service? So they tell me what their business is and what their active need is right now. And now I go, that's amazing. You know, so maybe for you, Toby, it's I, you know, I need better guests. I need to get 
more guests for mirror talks. And then I say, great. Have you heard of Podmatch? Mm. Podmatch isn't my service. It's Alex's service. And he's put it together. But I know that, you know, any of my speaker friends, I'm like, hey, there's this thing. Anybody Mm -hmm. that I find out has a podcast. I go, hey, there's this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm of service to you. Now I'm of use to you. Yeah. But I... I'm not giving you my product. I'm just being a solution provider for you by introducing you to my network. Mm. That's what networking is. So when I go to a networking event, typically I don't even bother with a pitch. I just say, you know, they give you that 30 second sound bite, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us who you are. First of all, when they give you that, don't tell them your name. Mm. So many people waste their time telling people their name at the beginning you have a name tag for a reason. Let it speak <laughs> volumes for you, right? Yeah. Everybody gets the lanyard, the name tag, or the little sticky thing. Leave it. Have your name there. But what I do when I get my 30 seconds, even if I get 60 seconds, I only ever take 30 because I've got the pitch narrowed down. And I go like this. Who here hates coming to these things because they find that they're socially awkward and they just don't know what to say? And who struggles when they come to networking events because they don't know how to pitch themselves when they get this little 30 second thing. Well, I have a system that works great for introverts because you don't have to go and talk to people. People will come and talk to you and only if they're super qualified to actually need your product. So if that's something that interests you, my name's Tyler and I'm over in the corner, come introduce yourself and we can have a further conversation. Mm -hmm. See, now I introduce myself at the end so that it's the last thing that they hear so that they remember my name yes. and I've already qualified the people who need to come talk to me. Mm-hmm. So they come and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Now I can have a, a dedicated conversation with them. Yes. And now I know the rest of the room isn't interested in my product. So I don't have to waste my time and their time pitching my product. Mm-hmm. What I do is I go and find out what they do and try to figure out if that's a thing that I can connect them with, if that's a solution provider to somebody who I know is struggling within my network. True. That's the power of networking. That's how you do it better. That's very brilliant. That's awesome. <laughs> that's very brilliant. But So I would love to wrap this up because you have to leave very soon. Um, you, you, are, you are a lot of things. You, you are the managing director of Total Bar in. You have this um, best-selling book called um, The Power to Speak Naked. You are a keynote speaker, um, you're a stuntman, a lot of things. And what's the best way for people to connect with you and work with you for different or various services that you offer? Uh, the best thing that they can do is reach out to seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y, seantylerfoley.com. Uh, and that has you connected to everything. So mm-hmm. if you want to reach me on social media, all the social contacts are there. If you need to email me or my team, all of our email contacts are there. And for anybody who's listening to this on Mirror Talk, um, they can, right on the main landing page, we have a thing called The Method. Mm-hmm. And if they click on that, it's a five-page document that, uh, or it's an 11-page document with five insider secrets that I've put together over the last 35 years that will help them be more confident um, and better presentations. And it's my gift to your audience for going over and checking it out on SeanTylerFoley.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for the gift. And thank you so much for your time and everything that you, you taught me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Toby. Thank you for having me. Wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.